Welcome to this podcast from Greater Boston on WGBH2. It is one in a series of interviews with authors conducted by Greater Boston host Emily Rooney. Our podcasts are made possible through the generous contributions of WGBH viewers and listeners like you. Thanks for joining us. And now, here's Emily. Sanantha Power teaches at the Kennedy School of Government, writes for Time magazine, and is a former aide to Barack Obama's presidential campaign. She is also the author of Chasing the Flame, Sergio Vieira de Mello and the Fight to Save the World. De Mello was chief of the UN mission to Iraq when he was killed by a car bomb. And Samantha Power joins us. Welcome. Good to be back. I have to start with the obvious, and then we'll get right into the book. No problem. No problem. <laughs> I mean, did you really feel like you had to resign? This is the issue of calling Hillary Clinton a monster in an interview gave to a Scottish reporter. Uh, I did. I mean, I think if I'd been working for a different candidate, I might have felt differently about mm -hmm. it. But he is, Barack Obama has so managed to maintain the campaign, I think, at the level that he promised from the beginning. And this was such an ad hominem, seemingly mm -hmm. ad hominem. It was, you know, again, something said more, as one would say it, about Alex Rodriguez than it was yeah. <laughs> um, serious about Senator Clinton, who's, you know, obviously remarkable. But um, it just, the, it was really off with the tenor, I think, of the campaign. So it, it made the most A sense. A lot of these things seem to go through the wash, rinse cycle very, very quickly. I mean, everything, including the Bosnia issue with Hillary Clinton, right. you know, imagining or lying about what mm. happened to her when she landed mm. in Bosnia. So that's what I'm saying. So, did you feel like, you didn't feel like you could have just sat back or... I don't think so. I mean, to me, personally, this campaign, it's the most important of my life's life. There's even, you know, a, a fraction of a percent of a chance that I was mm. going to do harm to somebody I'd worked for as a volunteer since 2005. I mean, I've done, this has been the sort of single political mm. commitment of my life in this way. And, and just that little chance, it just didn't seem worth taking the risk. Can you go back at some point? I mean, you were a volunteer for having Listen, it's the, yeah, exactly. I was a volunteer. <laughs> People forget that. They think I was Mark Penn, yeah, but right. sadly, <laughs> not, a, not at these prices. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I'd love to go back. It was the, I've always worked alone on these books mm -hmm. and, and in the field, and this was the first time I've ever worked on a campaign in, on, a, on a team. I mean, I've never, you know, I was a team sport player in high school and so forth, and I just loved the team. So I miss it like crazy, mm -hmm. but I haven't had any contacts with the campaign since, since then. I mean, I I think it'll be just, in a way, up to whether we all come back together as a party. And I hope that happens for, for many, many reasons beyond my little teeny fate. All right. Well, you're here to talk about the book, which is Chasing the Flame. I, I found this riveting. I wasn't familiar with uh, Sergio. And I, like all the other women, I fell in love with him. <laughs> you, know, you can see why. Uh, you, you, you say he's um, a cross between uh, Bobby Kennedy and uh, James Bond. Describe that. Well, yeah, Bobby Kennedy-like because he was an idealist for sure, um, but a Machiavellian idealist, you know, capable of working the system, uh, in, in Sergio's case, negotiating with killers, you know, kind of breaking eggs to make omelets. If the goal was civilian protection or counterterrorism or whatever it was, he would find a way to kind of um, to try to be out, to out savvy uh, the killers or the statesmen or whoever. It was usually the idealists who weren't savvy and the people with guns who were savvier, and he sort of outdid them. So that was Bobby Kennedy like. And then he was James Bondish, partly because of his appeal <laughs> with women, I guess. But but also he um, was like a moth to the flame. I mean, he he was in 14 war zones over the course of this three and a half decade career. He gravitated toward the world's um, worst places, the world's most dangerous places. And he was never afraid to be in the room, whether with Hezbollah or the PLO or Muqtada al-Sadr in his final posting, the Khmer Rouge, the Bosnian Serbs. He was in the room so often with the Serbs and so 
uh, kind of almost obsequiously with the Serbs that he earned the nickname, not Sergio, but Serbio. Mm -hmm. he, he went too far on occasion in terms of being in the room. And I think he was Bond-like in that he was very ingenious. Um, you know, he was a UN civil servant out in the world, and often the member states of the UN, including our government, uh, major powers, didn't give these missions the resources they might have needed in terms of firepower, in terms of money for building or you know, reconstruction, uh, political support. So a lot of what he had to do was, you know, he didn't have a cue like Bond did, you know, a guy <laughs> giving him gadgets, but he it was a lot of smoke and mirrors and almost conjuring up the impression that he had more international wind at his back than he actually did, because most of the places he was in, by definition, yeah. were not places the major powers were all that interested in. Well, I mean, he, was a, he was a UN lifer. I mean, he really was, mm -hmm. right, right, right out of college. He mm -hmm. started with them. And um, he, he, he took a very analytical approach, though. He had these five sort of doctrines mm. that he lived by in every war zone that he, that he went into. And what were those? Describe that. Well, you know, honestly, when he, it, you know, I think in a way he'd also be surprised that it could be summed up in that way. But this was watching him grow and learn. I, I mean, in some ways, walking around in his footsteps, I view mm -hmm. this book like The Education of Henry Adams, like the education of an idealist in practice, in the real world of killers and badness. So where he ended up was, I think, one, um, a really intense regard for dignity which is not something that people think nearly enough about either in the making of foreign mm -hmm. policy or in international relief or humanitarian work. Um, two, he had, a, and this is related, he had an ability to disaggregate the human in human rights and humanitarian. So he, he would see individuals around him as individuals and had a capacity to extract from them real knowledge about a place uh, and time. And, and I think often even people like me who teach human rights, we, we sometimes talk about mm -hmm. collectives as abstractions. Thirdly, he had a great line, actually like Senator Obama's, um, in one of his last speeches, Sergio did, um, which was, fear is a bad advisor. He saw the degree to which um, Western governments' politics were sort of getting, becoming hostage to fear and that that was distorting their impression of what the real threats were, the real challenges. Moreover, he saw the degree to which extremists benefited from fear in these uh, broken places. Um, so if you could somehow do away with fear and make people feel like they were living with law rather than lawlessness, they might be less prone to, to lunge for the extremes. Now, um, he, he, he was in Iraq. I want to yeah, get to this. Please, because, I mean, yeah. he, he met with President Bush, and he, he felt like President Bush did not take his advice. He met with Bush. Um, he had a way of always finding common ground with anybody, and so he talked to Bush about the shoot-to-kill policy mm -hmm. that he, Sergio, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, had put in place in East Timor to stop mm -hmm. the Indonesian militants. Bush said, my God, a UN guy with a shoot-to-kill policy? This is amazing. He understands that there is evil out there. And then Sergio segged into talking about Guantanamo mm -hmm. and torture and the International Criminal Court and things that Bush didn't want to talk about. But Bush thought he was fantastic. Yeah. And <laughs> to his, this is the great tragedy of Sergio, because he was so charming that he mm -hmm. even charmed President Bush, who had no warm feeling at that time for the UN. So when uh, the discussion after the U.S. invasion, there began a discussion as to whether to send a UN mission to Iraq. Sergio was the obvious candidate because he was the only person who had credibility with people who opposed the war like himself, but also that the American president would tolerate. And then over the course of that summer, Sergio tried to convince uh, Jerry Bremer, the viceroy there, um, to, to roll back the demobilization of the Iraqi army, which had put all these soldiers out on the street, to undo debathification, which had gutted the Iraqi infrastructure, and crucially, a lesson that Sergio, uh, and a mistake Sergio had made in Timor, and then a lesson he had learned, if you have absolute power, uh, if you don't want to own the blame, you better hemorrhage the power. If you own the blame, if, you know, if you own the responsibility, all of it, you will own the blame. 
And Bremer, it didn't take really any of his advice on these three key he issues. He really died a horrible death. He was alive for hours afterwards. That was the worst bombing. part. It was, I mean, yeah. Reading that was just so sad yeah. and chilling. Yeah, it really is. Oh. I mean, it's if you want a metaphor... Couldn't get him out. Yeah, if you want a metaphor for all that was wrong oh. with the Iraq war, it is him lying under the rubble for oh. three and a half hours and U.S. soldiers only having a lady's handbag that and a curtain pathetic. rope to bring to bear... Hands. Because there had been no planning done to respond to large-scale mm -hmm. terrorist attacks, even though we predicated the war mm -hmm. on a link to large-scale anyway, terrorist attacks. It's a real education for me, for someone who didn't know anything about him, and I wish I had met him. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Samantha Power, Chasing the Flame. Thanks for listening to this podcast, one in a series of interviews conducted by Greater Boston host Emily Rooney. We invite you to watch Greater Boston weeknights on WGBH2 at 7 p.m. and again at midnight. The program is also available through Comcast On Demand.